Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org slash give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org slash give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. So several weeks ago, we began together this series, The Last Era. We've been diving in chapter by chapter at the the question of how do you live your life without regret? How do you live a life where you never settle? How can you and I live a life that, that somehow steps into the wonder of every moment? I, I think it's, it's one of the peculiar things of being human, that no matter what kind of life we live, no matter what experiences we have, no matter what journey you've been on, we, we're all the same in this. There's this gnawing desperation inside of us that, that longs to live a life that seems so elusive to us. And, and, and sometimes we, we look at someone else's life, we look at someone else's journey, we see someone else's experiences, and, and we wonder, why can't that be mine? And, and the strange thing is that very person whose life you envy, they're asking that same question about someone else. It's almost as if we're not designed well to live this life. That our compass that, that's supposed to guide us into the future we were created to live is somehow broken and we're all wandering together in the dark. That's why this moment that inspired the last arrow struck me. Because there's a man named Elisha who's speaking to a king, Jehoash, and, and he tells him that that this was his moment. In this moment, everything he had longed for, everything he had hoped for, everything he could possibly ask God for was about to happen. And, and he tells him just to take an arrow and shoot it through the window when he dies. And he tells him to take an arrow and strike it. And the king strikes it three times. And then it tells us that Elisha becomes angry. He says, why didn't you strike the arrow six times? Now, because you did not. You will not experience the fullness of what God has for you. You will not have a complete victory in your life. You're only going to have a partial expression of the life you were created to live. And when I read that, I, I, I kind of empathize with the king. How many times in my life have I stopped short of what I was supposed to live, of who I was supposed to become, of what I was supposed to do? Have you ever been so frustrated with God going, just tell me what to do? Because I, I, I went back and I kept looking at the passage going, did Elisha ever tell him, don't stop at three? It would have been the easiest small bit of instruction. Keep striking. It's going to matter. Don't quit. But he doesn't. But when the king quits, Elisha holds him accountable for what he did not do. And I, I felt so many times in my life I've been held accountable for what I did not know to do. And so we go, God, just tell me what to do. Have you ever prayed that? God, just tell me what to do. But he doesn't. And, and then you don't do what you're supposed to do, but it seems that the God who won't tell you what to do will hold you accountable for not doing what he didn't tell you to do. So it's this vicious cycle. Except somehow Elisha knew. And so because he knew, 
What struck me is, wait a minute, if he could know, then I can know. If he could know, then that king could have known. There's something in that moment that this king could not see, but Elisha could see. He had the eyes to see the opportunity that was waiting in front of him. Oh, man. You know, if you, if you follow pro football, it's, it's the Tom Brady dilemma. Like, the guy doesn't get picked until the sixth round. He becomes one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played. He might even become the greatest quarterback who has ever played the game of football. And all of these teams passed on him. I mean, how many teams are probably not thinking to themselves, where's my Tom Brady? He was right there, and his name was actually Tom Brady. But the Cleveland Browns, they couldn't see him or anyone. (laughs) The Jets couldn't see him. The Raiders couldn't see him. All these teams passed on Tom Brady looking for the next Tom Brady, but they didn't know what the next Tom Brady would look like. Not even the Patriots, because they waited till the sixth round. They ran out of people to draft. He was right in front of them. He played for Michigan, which is a great school. He actually, I think, threw four touchdowns against Alabama in the Orange Bowl. This guy had to stop, but they couldn't see it. I wonder how many moments in your life you have a Tom Brady moment. But you, you, you keep believing that those moments have never been yours. Becoming embittered toward God, embittered toward the universe, embittered toward life. Because no one ever gave you the chance they gave them. It's like the Michael Jordan effect. I guess he was picked third, which is not too bad. But some guy named Sam Bowie got picked by the Portland Trailblazers. No wonder they're the Portland Trailblazers. (laughs) They could have had Jordan. They could have had MJ. They could have had the new logo. They could have had the shoes. They would have been Portland shoes. And they wouldn't have been stuck with Birkenstocks. They, they could have gone in an entirely new direction in life. But they did not see Jordan. They, they, they picked Sam. Nothing against Sam. I'm sure he's a great guy. <laughs> see, a lot of you have been mistaken, mistaking Michael Jordan moments for Sam Bowie moments. You've been missing the moments that God has for you. And, and if that's the case, what's going to change tomorrow? See, if you can look back on your life and know you've missed incredible opportunities, what's going to change that postures you differently for the opportunities yet to come? That's why it's so important to save nothing for the next life, to to reframe the way you live your life. And that's why we are now to the next chapter, which is entitled, Set Your Past on Fire. Now, I know that's kind of an intense title. Set your past on fire. And whenever I I, I hear that chapter being quoted, I'm getting a little nervous that we're creating a global movement of arsonists. People are, I'm setting my past on fire. And and I hope they, they, they read the chapter, not just the title. Because a lot of people keep setting themselves on fire. They're so self-destructive. A lot of people confuse what I'm talking about to set your past on fire with burning bridges. And so they just keep burning up people and opportunities and relationships. And and we we need to be careful about the burn bridges that one day we're going to have to cross back over. But there are some bridges you are never supposed to cross back over. And you're supposed to set them on fire. And they're your past. I, I wonder what is holding you back from moving forward? Well, what does God need right now in your life to turn into ashes and dust so that you can be free to travel forward? So I went back to the beginning of Elisha's story to see what what was it that shaped him in such a way that he could see the opportunity there. Because I want that to happen in my life. In 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19, it's really the beginning of Elisha's story. Elisha is encountered by a prophet named Elijah. They have very similar names, but they're different people. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. 
Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. It's an abrupt beginning to a really profound story. Elisha, we don't know anything about him. We don't get any backstory. We don't get any backdrop. We don't know what, how he grew up. We don't know anything about his family. We really don't know how he ended up where he was. We just suddenly find Elijah encountering Elisha, interrupting his life while Elisha was hard at work. He, he was there and he was plowing his field. So we, we know that he's a man of wealth and a man of success, a man of position because he has 12 yoke of oxen. So he doesn't just have one pair of oxen. He doesn't just have a small field. He has a huge field and he has a dozen pairs of oxen that are working this field and he is working one of them and he's so strong, he himself is driving the 12th pair. And while he's working, while he's doing life, while he's doing what he knows to do, Elijah interrupts him or maybe more accurately, God interrupts his life and calls him on a new journey. Which, by the way, is the way God works. Have you ever been interrupted by God? Have you ever noticed that God really isn't that interested in your schedule? He's not particularly interested in fitting into your plans. He's not looking for an opening on your agenda. He will interrupt your life whenever he is ready to do something in your life. And it's going to be up to you whether you make room for God or just politely invite him to give you room. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12 fair. He was hard at work doing life. Wouldn't it be great if God could sort of give us advance notice for when our lives are gonna change dramatically? It would be great. He goes, look, look, you've got three years. You've got three years to get your life in order. You have three years to get yourself together. In fact, if God invited you right now to step into an extraordinary future, are you actually free enough to move to it? See, I, I thought about this, how, how a lot of us are so indebted to our past that we have mortgaged our future. There's so many of us that are so trapped by the decisions we made in the past. It would take us years to unwind those decisions just to be free to move into the future we long for. If God interrupted your life right now, what would you have to do? Well, God, you know, I need a little time. I, I, I need three months notice to be able to live an extraordinary life because I got I to wrap up my ordinary life. I got to wrap up my meaningless life and get it all together so I can actually live the life that you want me to. Uh, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. That's obscure. No conversation. This is the way men talk. Elijah just put his cloak around Elisha, and then he walks off. I can know this because the very next line says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He had to run after him. I mean, who does that? Just walks up to you while you're working hard, plowing your land, doing your thing. God just puts a cloak over you, and then the guy who invites you in doesn't say that he just keeps on going. And Elijah has to stop plowing and run after Elijah because Elijah's not even giving him enough time to process this new information. Isn't God like that? See, Elijah has been following God, so he knows that God cannot be put on hold. He keeps moving forward because that's what God is doing, and now he's allowing Elijah to decide, are you coming or are you staying? See, there's some of you you're way too busy living your life to have time for the life God created you to live. And you've wanted God to intervene and to intersect your life, but he just keeps moving through and then you're not ready to move with him. I, I wonder how many times God has interrupted you 
and you've had to say, I'm not ready right now. But Elisha runs after Elijah. And he says, let, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. I love Elijah's response. Go back. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. This is not a highly empathetic conversation. He didn't go, oh, I know. I know you're close to your mom and dad. You need to kiss them goodbye. So I take some time. You know, take all the time you need. <laughs> Except you don't have all the time in the world. You're burning up life every second you live in a life of indecision. And so Elijah says, hey, go back. Do what you're going to do. What have I done to you? Look, all I've done is invited you into the future God has for you. Don't, don't put it on me. You decide what you're going to do. See, I, I think that so many of us, we want God to do something amazing in our life. We want God to recreate us. We want God to guide us into a new future. But we're so busy holding on to the past that we don't have time to step into his future. And if you go to God, I'm not, not quite ready yet. See, some of you, you need to set your past on fire because it's your past who's burning up your future. And, and I, I want to be clear here. A lot of times when we talk about be, becoming free from our past, breaking free from our past, a lot of times we talk about the negative things in our past. And believe me, there's some things in your past that you need to set on fire. There's some very flammable materials that we try to carry to the future, like bitterness. Just set bitterness on fire. Let it go. Some of you, you, you have wounds from the past. You have unforgiveness that has taken over your soul. You need to set all that on fire because you can't move into the future carrying those with you. Some of you, you, you have so much fear because of the failures of your past. You just need to set all that on fire. But, but strangely enough, that wasn't Elijah. See, Elisha wasn't being held back by all of his weaknesses, by all of his failures, by all of his fears, by all of his wounds, by all of his pain, by all of his disasters. Elisha was actually living a really extraordinary life. He, he owned land. He had a job. He had a career. He had responsibility. He had 12 pair of oxen. He had a life he was living. And it was actually the life that he had that was going to steal the life he could have. <laughs> See, if you think failure is hard to burn up and leave in the past, try success. You're going, I, I'd like to. <laughs> if, you, if you think poverty is hard to leave behind, try wealth. You're like, I'm working on it. You know what will steal your future sometimes? It's not that past that you need to be set free from because it was so painful. It's that past you need to be set free from because it was so good to you. It was so good. There was so much there. I think I was 17 years old. I had graduated from high school, just turned 18, and, and I was working all these odd jobs. You know, I was working like a lumberjack and a carpenter and you know, all, all these temp jobs. I wasn't going to college. My brother was off playing football and, with a football scholarship, and I was wandering around working minimum wage jobs. And one day, I was in between jobs, and my mom came up to me. She said, you need to get a job, job. You know, the kind of job you go to every day. But I wasn't really qualified to do anything. So I went and got a job at a hamburger place, and so I lost my job at the pizza place. I was just achieving. <laughs> no word but up for me. And, and, I, and I went to it as essentially a Carl's Jr. and I got a job over there. And it was my first day of work. I, I'd been sleeping in in the morning and staying out late at night, you know, living. <laughs> I remember even sleeping in my car for a while because I didn't have a place to go. It was cold in North Carolina in that car. And I got up and I went to work. And before I got to work, there was an electrical fire in our house and the house exploded. And the kitchen where the electrical fire ignited was right under my bedroom. And if I had been in that house in that moment, I would have been burned alive. 
And they didn't know if I was still in the house, so they called where I was going to work. And by the time I finished the drive to my new job, I received a message that the house had been burnt, set on fire, caught on fire. I drove back home, and it was horrible. I mean, the, the house was gutted. Everything in the inside was just burned to pieces. And, and you could smell the stench of smoke everywhere. Everything was destroyed, but especially all the trophies. I don't know if your family ever had like a trophy case. We had this place, a mantle over the fireplace where there were all these trophies that belonged to my brother and, and me and my sisters. And it was like, you know, first place, first place, first place, first place, first place, my trophy participation. And, uh, you know, my sister's first place, first place, my brother, awesome, 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 you know, best human in the world. Can you believe who he is? You know, all, all those trophies and then my participation trophies in between. And when we got to the house, all those trophies were melted together. And it was devastating for my mom. She, she was trying to, to fix the trophies, to pull them together, but they were completely unidentifiable. All of Alex's championship trophies were merged into my participation trophies, and, and they all became one. And my mom kept saying, we're going to save these. We're gonna, well, I'm going I'm to fix them. I'm going to take them someplace, and I'm going to fix them. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, that'd be awesome, because how will they ever know I participated? If I, if I don't have my trophy, no one will believe I participated. I was on the team. And, and, and my brother just looked at the trophies, and he said, throw them away. Like, throw them away? All, those, all the good ones are yours. And he's like, just throw them away. And my mom, no, 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 I'm going to fix them. And my brother said, throw them away. If that's the best I do with my life, I don't want to know that or remember that. All that's in the past. Just throw them away. And, and, and I realized that, that the, the framework that actually led him to be the person that could win those trophies was the person who would not allow those trophies to define his future. They were just a memory of the past. I, I, I wonder how many of us are carrying our participation trophies into the future. Because we're afraid that our future is not better than our past. See, there's some of you that you can't let go of a relationship in your past because you're terrified you're never going to have a better relationship in the future. There are some of you that, that are holding on even to your wins in the past because you don't know if you've got any wins coming in the future. Nothing will own you more than your past successes. They can hold you under more powerfully than your past failures. So Elijah says, go back. What have I done to you? You take care of your past. I'm just inviting you into the future. So Elijah left and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. That bothers me every time I read this. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, when I read this, I go, don't slaughter the oxen. Sell them. Be shrewd. You're going to need the income. And then he burned the plowing equipment to turn it into an altar. He cut the plowing equipment to pieces, turned it into kindling, and set it all on fire. I'm like, no. Don't do it, man. You're going to need it. If you don't want to keep it, sell it. Do you know how much plowing equipment sells for in a good market? I don't either, but I think it sells for a lot. Who does that? He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them all. And then he took all the plowing equipment and he cut it into pieces and then he set it all on fire. He literally set his past on fire. And I'm thinking that's not the smartest thing to do. You, you need a plan B, especially if you're going to follow God. Right? We all know that. Oh, you know what's better? Make God your plan B. Because I think that's what most of us actually do. See, we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We, we, we believe in all that. And God is, our, God is our great plan B. 
But you, you're busy doing life. You're busy doing your life. You're busy doing you. So your life is plan A, and you slip in to see that if God maybe has a really good plan B for you, and you don't ever execute plan B until plan A falls apart. <laughs> but Elisha understood something. Because he was a man who knew success. You cannot succeed if you have a plan B. You will always surrender your plan A. You will always move back to your fallback plan B if you have a plan B. Elisha decided he was going to follow God. He was going to follow God's course for his life, and there was no turning back. He set his past on fire. I, I wonder what it is in your life that you just keep holding on to, and he keeps holding on to you. I wonder what it is right now that God is telling you, just take a match and set it on fire. And I will set you into a new future. I love the fact that Elisha was so inherently generous that he slaughtered all of his oxen, cut to pieces all of his plowing equipment, had a huge banquet, and created a festival for everyone in his village. Everyone came and celebrated because of Elisha's sacrifice. Whose life is being impacted by your sacrifice? Or are you still eating off the sacrifices of others? I'm grateful I've been able to eat off the sacrifices of others. But there has to come a time in your life where you allow others to eat off your sacrifice instead. Where your life becomes a gift to other people. And I, I love how this passage wraps this together. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha was a leader. He was a master. He owned his land. He owned his equipment. You see, he had the authority to kill all those ox. He had the authority to destroy all those plows because he paid for them. They belonged to him. He understood what it was to rule. He understood what it was to succeed. He understood what it was to have. But he knew the difference between having something and something having him. And so he gave up everything he had to step into the future that he could not have unless he gave God everything. Is your past... So I want to ask you, is your past an anchor or an altar? Is your past an anchor or an altar? Are you allowing your past to hold you in the past or are you using your past as the material from which you're creating your future? Are you using your past, all your past pain and all your past failure and all your past hurts as an excuse for not living the future God has for you? Are you, living your, are you using your past successes, your past victories, your past wins as an excuse for not stepping into the future God has for you? And I... I became a follower of Jesus the week I turned 20 years old, and for the next 10 years, I lived my life essentially among the urban poor. When Kim and I were married at the age of 25, we were in the middle of that particular journey. Until I was 30 years old, my income was, I don't think, ever more than $12,000 a year. When Kim and I were married, we slept on the floor because we could not afford a bed. And I remember Kim got a job as an office assistant at an organization, even though she had a master's degree. And she was maybe making $10,000, $11,000 a year. Between the two of us, we couldn't even hit the minimum of welfare. And we had the best time in our life. And we enjoyed life, and we lived life to the fullest. And we never had a day as we were journeying together. We felt as if God was not good to us and generous to us. And then a unique thing happened. My life turned upside down. I, I, I remember I, I never spoke to more than 50 people at one time. I mean, I was, I was the guy speaking on street corners, going to the Vucaray and the Mardi Gras and taking my guitar and singing on street corners and, and then getting a crowd together. I was that guy. I was grateful when they dropped change inside of my guitar case. I, 
I remember the moment where I was suddenly unexpectedly invited to speak to 20,000 people without 45 minutes notice. And let me tell you, going from speaking to 50 people to 20,000 in just a blink of an eye is overwhelming. I went to a little room, I fell on my face, I started sobbing uncontrollably from overwhelming fear. And that moment turned my life upside down and suddenly I became incredibly popular. It opened up an entirely new world for me. And, and all of a sudden, I was being offered jobs left and right. I worked as an urbanologist and a futurist, and I spoke across the country. Next thing I knew, I was popular, and we could buy a house. We bought a brand new house. I could buy cars cash. I didn't even know that I could turn my life into a livelihood. And, and it was an amazing moment in our life. And, and it lasted about two years. I mean, it, it was as if every month, our world got bigger and bigger and bigger. Our income got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and Aaron was born, and now Kim was pregnant with Mariah, and we had another daughter that God gave us uh, named Patty, and, 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 and we were about to have to send her to college. And so I, I'm a 30-year-old man with three kids and a wife. And it was in the middle of that, we, we just heard God speak to us so clearly to walk away from it all and to move to L.A., and it was not easy. There was no job here. There was nobody who wanted me here. Nobody was inviting to provide a future for us. We just knew we were supposed to be here in L.A. And, and I, I had a group of, of businessmen who were all not millionaires but billionaires. And, and they had decided to finance my life. And they called me into a meeting as I was coming back and forth to L.A. And they said, we really believe in you. And we want to finance all of your vision, all of your dreams, but we want you to live in Dallas. And if you move to LA, we're gonna stop financing what you're doing. Let me tell you, that was not an easy moment. I could do everything from here. I could fly across the country, that's easy. They were willing to pay for all of it. And I remember sitting in a room and I said, I wanna release all of you from any obligation to ever finance anything I ever do. So have you ever had a moment where you just know God has told you to move and follow him into the unknown and it doesn't matter what you lose because you can't lose this? See, in that moment where the wife and three kids with Aaron, barely three, and Mariah, just born, we gave up everything, sold everything we had, rented a U-Haul, moved across the country, and it was, we were out of our minds. People thought we were crazy. And because we had a past that was worth becoming our future. See, we weren't walking away from, from failure. We were not walking away from, from a self-destructive life. We had everything we ever wanted except the future God wanted for us. So we set it on fire. And we moved out here, and I started looking for a place to live, and there's a city called Alhambra, and I found a house to rent there. It was like over $1,000 a month. It was so expensive. <laughs> and I remember I rented that house from a family that was living in Hong Kong, and, and Kim came to me and said, honey, we can't afford this house. How can we rent this house? We can't afford it. And I said, honey, we can't afford any house. So we might as well get kicked out of this one. And that was my theory. I was going to go with it. And somehow every month we just kept paying those bills. Every month we just kept moving forward. And I remember one time we, we, we had friends who had actually come to know Jesus. And we had opened up eventually Mosaic in a nightclub the prince used to own. And, and, and there was nobody to finance this. This was just us on our own. And, and I, we were going over to the beach. I think it was Dockweiler Beach where you have to pay for parking. And I was supposed to go to the beach and baptize people, but I didn't even have $5 to pay for parking. So I'm scrambling all over the house looking for formerly lost money. You ever do that? Just you're going through bags, you're going through pants, you're going through jackets. You're going, Jesus, I know you, you hit something somewhere where I can have it right now when I need it. And, and it was cold that night, so I threw in a jacket I had during a long time, and I reached in the pocket, and there was just enough money for me to pay for parking so I could baptize some of you. 
Uh-huh. And I want you to know I've never regretted for one moment setting my past on fire. I've never regretted for one moment giving up things that other people thought was the, the sum total of success. Because if you think it's hard to walk away from failure, walk away from success. But if your past is your best future, you're already done anyway. Because no matter what has ever happened in your past, no matter how much God has ever done in your past, no matter how much you failed or succeeded, no matter what you have accomplished, no matter even if you're all that, let me tell you, it's not worth losing the future God has for you. I think sometimes it's a mindset. God, I've already done that. I've already sacrificed. I already had faith. I already served. But Elisha, it says, he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And this is the way God works. Every time God wants to move you up, he calls you to step down. Every time God begins to expand your influence, to turn you into a greater individual, to make you a more powerful leader, God calls you to become a more powerful servant. Elijah could have said, no, God, I'm going to stay king of my little land here. Why should I leave all this to become the servant of Elijah, who's the servant of God? There's some of you here that your past is an anchor, and it's time to turn it into an altar. Because your past isn't an altar until you set it on fire. And, and maybe there's supposed to be a shift in your life that goes beyond turning your past into an altar, but becoming an altar. See, because in ancient times, they would build an offer, an altar. They would build an altar to offer a sacrifice to God. But I am convinced what God wants us to be is to be an altar, not simply to build an altar, so that we might be the sacrifice that we offer to God. We might give our lives. Jeremiah said, oh, but if I say I will not mention him or speak any longer in his name, his word is in my heart like a burning fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of keeping it in. Indeed, I cannot. Hear what Jeremiah is saying? saying, I am on fire. God, you burn inside of my soul. You're all I want. You cannot step into the future God has for you until you're willing to take a match and burn it all down. Say, God, I trust you to rebuild my life over and over and over again. Mariah was probably 14 years old. I don't think anyone had ever heard her sing except for me. She was so shy and, and so reclusive. I said, I just, for one year, would you just sing whenever I ask you? And she said, okay, I'll do that, Dad. And I said, okay, the first person I want you to sing for is your mom in the living room. Small audience. And so she came in the living room, she brought the guitar, and she sat down and started singing a song that would later be picked up by Grey's Anatomy and used in their season finale. And I'll never forget one particular lyric. She's singing the song, smiling so big, her little 14-year-old angel. And she says, just give me a match, and I'll burn it all down. She just kept singing that over and over again. (laughs) Just give me a match, and I'll burn it all down. Just give me a match, and I'll burn it all down. And I'm sitting there thinking, I love my artistic, poetic, sweet girl. I love the way she takes words and images, just throws down, and... And Kim's eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, Kim goes, what is that? I go, affirm, honey, affirm, affirm. And she goes, no, what, 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 what is it? Give me a match and you'll burn it all down? Where, 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 where did that come from? She goes, we didn't abuse you. She goes, you, you have two loving parents. You have a home. You have a family. What, 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 why, why do you want to burn it? What, what do you want? You want to burn us down? I mean, Kim's just going off, right, you know, and... And then Kim goes, 
Well, what, what are people going to think? Which, of course, she's from the South. That's a very important thing. What, what are people going to think when you're singing, give me a match, and we're going to burn it all down? Oh, hi, Mom and Dad. They're here tonight. And, uh, you know. She goes, what are people going to think when you're singing that? They're going to think we, we tortured you. We abused you. And, and my aunt just smiled real big, and she says, oh, no, I'm not singing for my pain. I'm singing for the pain of others. You know what I find is odd? A lot of us would rather take a match and burn it all down than to set it on fire and give it to God. A lot of us make so many self-destructive choices. We keep burning up our future. We would rather set ourselves on fire in all the wrong way than to let God do something new by letting go of all the old. I start thinking about giving because Elisha's act was so generous that, that out of his sacrifice erupted generosity. And because of that, he had the freedom to move forward into God's future. And, and I started thinking about why God creates this process that we call tithing. Why do you do that, God? What's the big deal? Why do you ask us to give 10% of our income? Because I realize that, that giving is in response to need. But tithing is in response to God. There's, there's a difference. See, I hope we all give. I hope we all learn how to give. When there's a need in the world, when there's a need around you, I hope you learn to be a person who gives. But, but tithing is different than giving. Because it's not around a need, it's around an honor. You don't give to a need, you give to God when you're tithing. You're saying, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I am is yours. And I realized that, that God is so clever that he created this, this process where we take the first tenth of our giving and we give it as an offering to God so that we're making a declaration that everything we have is God's. And then it began to make sense to me why it's so hard to tithe. It's hard to tithe when you think that what you have is yours. And you're like, really? God, you want me to give 10% of what I have? Isn't that absurd? Of course that's absurd. Why in the world should God expect you and me to give 10% of what we have? There's a different posture when you finally get it that your life is a gift from God. That everything you have is a gift from God to you. And so it's a shift. It's actually a shift where you're not saying, okay, God, this is what I have. This is my life, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be sacrificial. So I'm going to give you 10% of what is mine as opposed to God. Everything I have is yours. So if you want 10% back and you're going to allow me to keep 90%, I'm good with that. And, and, and then I realized, oh, this is because we're the only sacrifice who keeps crawling off the altar. See, God wants to give you the new, but you can't keep crawling back to the old. He wants to give you a future, but you have to set the past on fire. You have to create a posture in your life that everything you are and everything you have is a gift from God to you. And your life is not ownership. Your life is stewardship. Because God wants to move you into a future. And you need to be flexible and agile and adaptable and responsive. And the more things that you own, you have to be careful because those things can end up owning you. And if all the things God has done for you and all the things God has given you own you, you will not be able to move into the future that God calls you into. I love the fact that Elisha had everything in his life as a gift from God. And so he could just set it on fire and say, God, I am good to go. I wonder if you are good to go.
If God speaks into your life right now, if God calls you into a more profound future, if God is waiting to usher in a future that is greater than anything you could ever ask or imagine, are you good to go right now? Because you need to take that match and just set it all on fire and say, God, thank you for the life you've given me. Thank you for everything you've entrusted to me. But God, I want you to know there is nothing you have ever done for me that is of more value to me than what you're calling me into in the future. There's nothing in my past that matters more to me than the future you have for me, God. God, I want you to know you can trust me with whatever you want to trust me with. You can give me wealth. You can give me power. You can give me prestige. You can give me fame. You can give me stuff, God. You can trust me because they will not trap me in the past. God, you can trust me to be a steward. And the moment you tell me to chop it into pieces and set it on fire and use it to be generous, it is my sacrifice to you. Because if God can't trust you with your past, how in the world is he going to trust you with your future? So maybe it's time right now to take the match and set it on fire. Because when you let God set you free from your past, he uses that altar to light the way for others. And there's some of you here right now, you are trapped in your past. You're dragging it into your future. It is costing you your joy. It is costing you your hope. It is costing you your freedom. And you are so trapped in the past. But tonight, I'm telling you, today, Jesus is going to set you free. But the match is in your hands. And you got to strike it. So strike, strike. Strike, 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 strike. Set it all on fire. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. There's some of you here right now in this moment that have never crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life. Maybe you've thought about it. You've come close. But this is your moment. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God himself, stepped into human history, and he chose you. He died on the cross so that through his sacrifice, you might live and be free. He rose from the dead, and he's here right now, and he wants to give you his life. But there has to be an exchange. You have to make room for the future by letting go of your past. You have to make room for the life he wants to give you by giving up the life you have without him. Right now, if you're ready to cross that line and move from death to life, from existence to life, that I want you to pray this simple prayer right now. Just one sentence right now. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it right now. Just whisper that to God. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him. Just take that leap of faith. Just cross that line of faith right now. Just whisper these words to the God who is here for you. Jesus, I give you my life. Everything will start new today. He'll make you new. He'll give you a fresh start. He'll set you free from your past and give you a future right now. Just, just whisper this prayer, Jesus. I give you my life. There's so much more that needs to be said, but this is where you start. If this is your prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer right now, I want to pray for you. But I want to know that, that this is your moment. 
And so I want you right now, if you prayed this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you right now just to hold your hand up high and say, yes, that's my prayer. Yes, this is my prayer. Yes, I choose Jesus in my life right now. Beautiful. Just hold it up high. Just hold it up high right now. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be hesitant. Right now, just strike the match and set it all on fire. Right now, just hold your hand up high and say, Jesus, I'm setting my past on fire. I am giving my life to you right now all over the room. Anyone else right now? Just let this be your moment. Let this moment light the way into your future. Anyone else right now, just hold it high. Don't miss this moment. Father, I thank you for those in this moment are opening up their life to you. I thank you for this simple prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I pray that right now, as they give you their life, that they would know that you are giving them your life. God, just wrap them up in your love. Let them know that they belong to you. And God, I pray that you would fill them with hope, with faith, with love, that you would help them to see a more beautiful future, that God, you would set them free from their past. Today would be the beginning of new things. And I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you came here tonight to meet them here, to disrupt their life, to encounter them, to interrupt them from existing so that they might live. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen and amen. Can we just thank God for all those who responded to him? I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.